Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, as if that's not enough words to be able to say all in one spot. But uh, we are continually tickled, slapped to death to have great guests on with us that are bringing quality conversation and dialogue to the hemp game. And once again, uh, we have uh, continued to bring uh, uh, really good folks to, uh, who are experts in the space to, to come and talk with us. And uh, Bo Whitney is uh, economist extraordinaire in the hemp world. And um, uh, we are glad to have you as uh, a part of uh, the podcast today, Bo, and for us to get inside your brain and in your crystal ball. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. A um, little bit of background. Uh, so I'm Bo Whitney. My firm is Whitney Economics. We're based out of Portland, Oregon. And we're one of the premier uh, hemp and cannabis uh, data providers and research firms in the country. Um, and we do analysis not only of, of the U.S. market by state, but we also do this globally. And uh, And so I'm associated with a number of different uh, trade organizations such as the National Industrial Hemp Council and the like. Um, but I do a lot of um, analysis of the hemp market, uh, particularly uh, by rolling up my sleeves and contacting all of the Department of Agriculture's. Um, mm -hmm. And then I do surveys. So I roll up my sleeves and, and reach directly out to farmers and processors uh, throughout the United States. So um, it's uh, really rewarding when I know that I can provide some data to where people can leverage that in their operations, or when I can provide some data and there's an aha moment at the policy level and like. So yeah, my firm, I'm quite uh, grateful for some of the opportunities I've been given over the last few years here. Well, tell us about that aha moment. I'm glad to hear you say that. What was your aha moment from understanding about hemp and maybe cannabis or any piece of part therein? Well, you know, I first started analyzing the adult use and in medical industry, and this is in 2014. Mm -hmm. And I realized that there was a lack of data in the space and there weren't any federal, there still aren't any federal uh, repositories for data. And um, after working in the industry for a while, and um, I found that people valued my efforts on the data side, my insights, rather than just the operational stuff I did as COO of a publicly traded cannabis company. Um, but I, I started speaking. I was first invited to the Northern Colorado Hemp Expo in 2017. Okay. Um, and, um, and then I continued speaking. I spoke at the Southern Hemp Expo mm -hmm. and this was right around the time that right before and right after the farm bill was passed. And there was a lot of speculation about uh, what was going to happen in terms of supply, in terms of market participation, in terms of uh, excess inventory potential in the market. And there was a lot of speculation and uh, typical of the way I roll, I said, well, has anybody talked to the farmers directly? And there were crickets. 
Um, and so I decided that that was my aha moment. I was like, wow, there's no data and nobody's talking. And so I jumped in, I put together a survey. I, uh, hired, a uh, a, just an amazing analyst, um, who is now working for, uh, moved on to bigger and better things, working for the Bonneville power administration now. And so I guess I'm pretty okay. high caliber, um, economists and, and, and other analysts on my team. Um, and we looked at the market and we're like, wow, there's a lot to this. And, uh, there was, you know, at that time about 125,000 employees, um, in the market it's, it's since gone, it's atrophied a little bit. There's about 110,000 now. Um, and they were paying good wages and there were good farm opportunities and there were all these opportunities in different states. And then the more that I looked into it, uh, the more intrigued I got and then got introduced to, because initially it was all about CBD and the cannabinoid side. Um, but then people started talking about fiber and started talking about grain. And then I was like, wow. And then, um, some companies invited me to do some additional market research and said, we want to look at seeds or we want to look at animal feed or we want to look at industrial applications and the more i delved into it the larger my portfolio of data and uh, insights grew and and now people um, come to me and see what type of insights that uh, i can bestow isn't that so. great but 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 of all the markets so but i mean so this really kind of started because you were already working in this cannabis space uh, for this for this cannabis group. It's not like you just were walking down the street one day and a bale of hemp hits you on the head or or that you um, um, uh, or maybe had like so many people kind of got in the space because of somebody's health issues in your family or or just because you were just kicking around trying to figure the market out. I mean, that's really kind of how you got your toe in. Is that a fair? Yeah, way to you know, say? I was I was. My background is in supply chain and high tech, and I um, I wanted to um, change my career a little bit and be paid for more for my knowledge than just the fact that I could outwork people. Mm. And um, so I started transitioning my my career over, and as part of that transition, I started teaching. Ah. And in one of my classes in economics a student started asking about how to set up businesses and do this analysis and that analysis and the stuff. And I finally asked him what industry he was in. And he said that he was in the cannabis industry and that was really the beginning of it all. Oh, um, and then I've just expanded uh, my analysis, you know, going from one segment to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, and so that was really the beginning. It was just that one student. Um, it wasn't as though, um, there was any driving force, mm. I, but then I saw a market opportunity, a huge market. Sure. And then I just decided to jump in and, you know, early on in, in the days, either talking about hemp or talking about adult use or medical applications, uh, there was a bit of a stigma associated with it in the sure. economic industry. And, uh, um, you know, so I, people wouldn't necessarily, uh, embrace what I was doing, but, uh, then later on, I was actually recognized as being a pioneer in the space and and was actually uh, 
celebrated rather than, you know, pushed away or, you know, <laughs> so, um, and so you don't get celebrated and economist in the same sentence a lot. Right. I mean, that's just kind of goes <laughs> yeah. with the, with the industry. It's kind of like, um, um, fantastic politician. You don't hear that very often, you know, all in one, <laughs> yeah. unless, it, unless you want to say she's a really good politician and that's usually a negative connotation, but maybe that they're right. <clears throat> so the, uh, you know, just to show how far this had evolved, I was at a economics conference and I just happened to sit down for lunch at the same table as this Nobel prize winning economist. Right. And, uh, and, you know, I mentioned the industry that I was in and, and he and his handlers couldn't get away from me quick enough. You know, it was just like, they kind of hustled him away. And, uh, but then as I built the body of work, as I started demonstrating the economics of things and providing data through rigorous surveys and analysis and really well, kind of outworking people still, um, then people started appreciating what I was bringing to the table. And so fast forward from that incident to a couple of years later, um, I'm being introduced to the chief economist of like the department of revenue and the department of agriculture and all this stuff. And they're like, Hey, you should talk to this guy because he's, he's got some knowledge that would be important to our policy or be important to you know, what we've got going at the federal level or at the international level. So it, it's grown. Um, and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time with the right skill set, And, and, uh, so people have embraced it, but at first it was like, Oh my God, I don't know what this guy, you know, get away from. Um, but then after a while, then people are like, wow, this is, this is some cool work and it's very interesting. And absolutely. And it's making a difference, right? It's making a difference with farmers. It's making a difference with policymakers and, and, uh, local communities, you know, and, no doubt, no doubt, because yeah. we, we, you know, we can all believe in a, a, um, we could all drink the Kool-Aid <clears throat> from about all the many, all wonderful, amazing things that the plant can do. But at the end of the day, if there's not a market for it, if people are not going to make money for it, if it's not a dedicated supply chain to be able to connect it to consumers or to end users on well, the rest of that, it's just a big kumbaya show, right? And that's not helping anybody long term. Yeah, know. I tried to avoid the drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, and I really just wanted to provide good analysis for people because if you run the numbers, the numbers get so big, so fast mm. that you really don't need to be a cheerleader. Um, you just, because there's such little data out there, if you just present the data, the data will speak for itself. Um, and so, so I haven't necessarily been the, you know, cheerleader and drinking all the Kool-Aid and doing all that. I've just been trying to say, uh, not much data out there. Here's a rigorous analysis please by all means poke holes in this so that the analysis will get better. And then what I've been trying to do is just lay the foundation for people to build on um, as the industry and as the market matures. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, let's talk about that. That's a great segue. So <clears throat> give us an idea of, of some things that, that um, you are seeing and trending and kind of um, 
where the market is headed, particularly as it relates to uh, industrial non-CBD use, because that's where most of our folks are that, that, that tune into this podcast and um, that listen are, are, are interested in that in particular. Uh, and I know we at the co-op are, are interested in part of that as well. I know you've run some numbers. Yeah. So going back into the history of things, when there was the 2014 pilot program that was established at the USDA, where it matched farmers and and research institutions, you know, sponsoring universities and like, um, a lot of the uh, participation in the market was actually on the fiber and grain side. And then as there was the influx of CBD into the market, the cannabinoids, mm-hmm. um, then and then the Farm Bill opened things up in uh, late 2018. Then everybody jumped in because it was a sexy thing to do. There was a lot of a lot right. of CBD, and so everybody jumped in, and the market surged. But given the fact that the industry was so new, and the regulations were kind of being written on the fly, and there's still lots of gaps in those rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, the market stalled. In fact, it faltered because there wasn't enough infrastructure in place in order to um, drive the market and let it grow and flourish. And so the regulatory murkiness with the lack of promulgation of rules and regulations that really hurt the market, but in a, to a certain extent, it also helped the market become more disciplined. And so, um, so we went through a couple of difficult years where, um, after a surge of of uh, acreage licensed by the states, it went from like just a little over seventy thousand acres to um, you know two hundred and or no, I'm sorry five hundred thousand acres, so seventy thousand acres to five hundred thousand acres. Um, after it surged, um, there wasn't enough infrastructure to process all of the output from those farms. And so there was a collapse in pricing. And that's what I mean by it kind of forced discipline into the space. Now, two years later, those uh, acres license have been cut in half and they may be reduced again this year. So last year alone, year over year, license acres for hemp fell 53%. But a lot of that was CBD. And if you look at some of the data, the underlying underpinnings of the data, you see a steady growing and building and participation in the grain side. And you see a steady participation on the fiber side. And so people had a vision and they saw, they dedicated themselves to it. And then they started continuing to chip away at the development of products on the fiber side and on the grain side. And so what you're seeing now is that there's a shift occurring, albeit slowly, away from the cannabinoid side and over in favor of the fiber and grain. Now, the the grain side is being impacted by the lack of FDA guidance on CBD, but uh, it's the grain side is getting caught up in the CBD debate. But if allowed to be fed to animals, you could see a significant increase in the amount of acres in demand 
uh, for grains for animal. And so, and I've done that analysis. I've looked at the amount of omegas and, and fatty acids and, and protein per acre relative to corn and soy and all the alfalfa and all these other things. And there's a really large value proposition associated with hemp for grains to be fed for human consumption and animal consumption. So there's this huge opportunity on the grain side. Now, also on the fiber side, people well, wait, start- hey, let, let me, can I stop you right there a minute? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that potential though, for the folks on the grain side, until the, the genetics still have to get caught up for that to be a viable market for growers throughout the U.S., right? Just because that's what our agronomist is telling, tells us and helps remind us <clears throat> the scale of where you really need to be able to grow for grain is the closer you get to Canada and the U.S., the better you are because we just don't have the genetics in place to really know for grain, not for fiber, but for grain, we just don't know enough yet for people that are in those lower temperate zones, that the further you go towards the equator, um, the less information we have about what will really grow for grain. So when you're talking about that market, you're really talking about, okay, well then you 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 don't need to be running down to Opelousas, Louisiana, thinking that you're gonna, you know, grow a bunch of grain. Doesn't mean it won't grow, but it's not gonna be anywhere near scale of what you need to be able to really do grain processing. So those opportunities, for the next several years until the genetics catch up with it. We think that that's really going to be geared geared north uh, for our co-op members and other people up there in that direction. You think some of that's right or do you, or are we getting off into a world that's not your world? No, it's, you know, even with the limited level of data and genetics, there has been analysis done especially using European strains and like um, domestic strains, which are more hybrids off of the cannabis, the higher THC cannabis uh, plants. But with even with the preliminary data and the research that's been done on uh, cattle, on chickens and others, there's a, still already a compelling case for animal feed. It's just mm -hmm. like, so sure, of course, you know, where, can you optimize this from a farming perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's an area for further research. But for right now, just the basics block, basic blocking and tackling, um, there's a compelling argument. And now with the war in Ukraine, taking uh, food offline and distributions being blocked, and then there was already a global shortage of animal feed there was already a compelling argument for hemp for animal feed. And then now with this global shortage, there's an even more compelling case for it. So, you know, so those are the opportunities on the grain side. Um, and, and those opportunities are real and the data is already into the FDA. They just need to give the thumbs up. And so I think, it would be great for organizations like yours and other trade associations to put the pressure on Congress and the pressure on the regulators to say, Hey, um, you know, farmers are culling their herds because they can't feed them. 
we need to do something about this. We have a viable solution. So, you know, put pressure on Congress and the, and the regulators. Um, but switching gears over to the fiber side, you know, um, there's a, a greater opportunity on the fiber side because there's such diversity of products that fiber can go into. And, you know, I've been looking at a lot at uh, different big sectors like plastics, like textiles Mm -hmm. and textiles is where, you know, the Southern states would be beneficial, you know, where they would benefit from um, embracing hemp because there's a greater economic case for hemp versus cotton and, you know, from an environmental, but even from a per acre revenue and profit per acre basis. I mean, there's a lot to that. Um, and then, you know, there's fiber for automotive, um, you know, fiber, um, you know, in the plastics, like I mentioned, uh, fiber and construction. And so even just with those handful, maybe 10, product segments, there's this massive market for fiber, um, you know, across the United States and beyond. And the numbers are really extraordinary and you don't need to be a cheerleader, um, even with conservative estimates of, of converting some markets over to hemp, you know, 2% market share. Uh, the numbers get really big, really fast, you know, especially in the automotive area, in the area of electronic batteries, you know, lithium replacement, for example, no, um, textiles. <clears throat> Does yeah. it ever get crazy when you look at this and go, whoa, 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 wait, wait. <laughs> this stuff won't really do all of that. I know when I first got into it, that's when I started, I got a, a little incredulous almost. I'm like, come on now, this stuff won't do that. And then by golly, you don't even have to look very hard and, and have to do a just a minimal amount of, of, of reflection and, and <clears throat> or, or research into it. And you'll think, gosh, Damati, it really will. I mean, look at all this stuff this plant will do, uh, yeah. which I thought was, I think it's kind of cool to be. A, it's kind of frustrating at sometimes because it'll do so much stuff. But at the same time, the opportunity doubles any frustrating uh, frustration about trying to figure out which lane you think you want to be in. And of course, we're in all of them. I mean, we want to we want to be in every lane we can be in because it helps our growers. Yeah, I, at one point a, a year or so ago, I tried to um, develop an investment fund because a lot of the problems associated with hemp is not necessarily the growing thereof, but it's more a matter of bringing that hemp to market sure, and the lack of infrastructure and the lack of product development. And so I wanted to set up a fund in order to, um, you know, support the infrastructural development of the hemp industry. Um, and, you know, those efforts have been kind of um, put on hold temporarily while I get the rest of the value chain mapped out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my focus is, is mapping out the value chain from, from seed all the way to retail, but so many people are focused on retail that I'll let them have that while I'm doing some of the other work. And, um, um, but it was through my efforts of setting up funds and identifying opportunities for investment that I ran into all these viable product areas where they just needed a little bit of oxygen in the form of dollars 
in order to scale their businesses up to really make it a, right. a contributing part of the economy. Right, right, right. I think that's been the the biggest when I if if I do get frustrated and pull out whatever hair is remaining in my head, um, it's more the fact that you see a correlation between the lack of regulatory guidance and the regulatory murkiness and the impact that that's having on the development and deployment of hemp into the uh, larger economy. That's the area that is most frustrating because you see the policymakers saying we have these objectives of helping economic development or helping farmers and small farmers or helping grow businesses in these new areas within the green economy. And you see these goals and aspirations by the policymakers, but then you see other policies that do just the opposite, that treat hemp as a drug rather than an industrial product. Um, and they try to control rather than nurture and grow. Right. And by controlling it, it's, it scares off the, the investors and, you know, the people that are doing the product manufacturing. And so that's the, the biggest source of frustration is seeing how close the hemp industry is to realizing its potential. And then a lot of the obstacles that remain in place as a result of this regulatory murkiness, as I call it. Absolutely. Well, all right. So let's let's close out this way. Um, give us some of those good numbers on the industrial side that you would just say, hey, here's what I'm seeing as far as what the end use markets may be. I know we talked about automotive. We talked about construction material. Uh, I guess hempcrete would be a part of all of that. What what this. Give us a couple of, of bullets on some of those of, of what you see as the, as the potential for the growth and over what number of years? Well, when I've done some run some preliminary numbers from the last year or so, the U.S. hemp market produced about a, a, a little over $5 billion worth of goods and services, if you will. That, that was five with a B? Five with a B. You yep. use the B word. Okay. Yeah. And based upon my surveys, uh, farmers and processors um, spend about $3 billion, over $3 billion just in labor alone. Wow. And, and so it makes sense that the, the industry is in excess of $5 billion. And that's on some other numbers that I've run and then looking at, other analysts that uh, have good methodology, right? So five billion. But in the when you look at you know simple products like automobile parts or textiles or concrete yeah. or lithium batteries or plastics, you know, like I have a plastic cutlery company uh, that's plant based. All my um, all my inputs are hemp derived, you know. Um, right. And so it's a plastic replacement company, um, you know, an animal feed. When you tally up just 10 product categories, it's a $350 billion market. Right. So there's this growth from, 
you know, 5 billion domestically to 350 billion globally. Um, and you know, that needs supply that needs farmer support that needs infrastructure support that needs, um, investment into the space. And so when I look at the potential of hemp, I think that we're just getting started and, and by kind of, you know, having all of these, having a, a national market that is now kind of fracturing into state by state markets, it's actually doing a disservice to the growth and development of the industry. Um, because what it's doing is it's seeding the U.S. competitive competitiveness to the rest of the globe. And so unless we can, you know, correct this and provide a more comprehensive federal framework and more supportive policies, you know, a lot of that $350 billion won't be realized in the United States. It'll be realized elsewhere. And so now I don't want to say all doom and gloom, right? No. Um, right. But I do tend to provide, you know, realistic that's what we uh, inputs, right? But right. even with, you know, some of the regulatory hiccups and the dysfunctionality in Washington, D.C., you know, the future of hemp, especially on the industrial side, is very bright. And, you know, my forecast right now, you know, last year, 235,000 acres, um, I'm seeing a forecast by the end of this decade, 2030, where there'll be requirements for 10 million acres, not wow. 235,000, but 10 million acres. And a lot of that is being driven on the fiber and grain side. And so that's the potential that we're looking at. And it doesn't take all that much to get there. Um, I just had lunch recently with a group um, that wanted some additional economic analysis on the, on the hemp side. And, and they are talking 30 million acres by 2030. And so I'm not quite there yet. You know, my forecast is just under 10, but right. if people are driving for that for 30 million acres, um, you know, then that's a pretty, uh, a pretty ambitious goal, but it's a goal that could be attained just through regulatory reform and some investment dollars. And then the, um, wherewithal by of these traditional industries to enable the conversion over into this green economy. Heck and, yeah. you know, so there's the future is really bright. Yeah. I mean, um, even if you're wrong by half, okay. <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. just say, uh, or the other folks are wrong by half. That's still a lot over the next, uh, uh growth seasons that we're, that we, that we haven't. So that's why we're so, so excited about being a part of the industry. We think we've come into it at a, at a time where it was really right for a bunch of different reasons to have um, <clears throat> where we can get business and agriculture meeting up together with folks who are movement people who are also folks who are interested in the in the green economy. People who are interested in sustainability, some who are just interested in making money because that's the way that, you know, that they understand that that's a market for them to get into. Quite frankly, we don't, we're not, you know, we got the big tent theory on that. I mean, bring all those folks to the table uh, because it's what it's going to take for us to be able to pull it off. And having good data from folks like you, Bo, 
um, really do make a difference. And uh, thank you for all the things that you've done uh, and the things that you continue to do. Tell me how people can find out <clears throat> more about you and about uh, Whitney Economics and want to learn more about what you do. How do they how do they find you? So my website is WhitneyEconomics.com. And we uh, have um, data on both the hemp market and the adult use and medical markets. Um, if you want to commission a, a report or check out some of the previous reports that I've had, I, I give some of them away for free. Um, and so there's uh, plenty of data. Um, or contact me at WhitneyEconomics at gmail.com. And just shoot me a note and, and uh, happy to support. Um, one thing to note is yes. we just uh, completed a survey of hemp farmers and processors. Uh, we completed that uh, just a, about a month ago, month and mm -hmm. a half ago. And we're um, going to be publishing the results of that national survey uh, here in about three weeks or so. And Perfect. so we got inputs from farmers and processors from 36 states. Um, we can talk with great confidence on what's going on, um, not only on the cannabinoid side, but on the fiber and grain side as well. Uh, well the results hey, are stunning. You let us know uh, uh, for the things that you'd like to help promote that. We'd love to put that in our newsletter uh, and be able to let other folks know about that as well. And <clears throat> some of the uh, stats that you threw out today, uh, uh, you never met an economist that didn't love a pie chart or didn't love a graph, right? And so, um, uh, Bo, you have been kind enough to allow us to take some of that info that we've talked about today about the market, and we'll have that back on our website uh, by the time this uh, podcast rolls out so people can go back and look at that and check it out and go back to Bo's website as well, too. So, <clears throat> Bo Whitney with Whitney Economics, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, anybody who is interested in learning more about the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, we hope that you will go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us and learn more about the things that we are doing uh, to be <clears throat> living up to our mission of building wealth for our members through regenerative agriculture and sustainable development. Bo, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.